I've had uh, probably for the last, I don't know, 24, October 25 years in ministry where uh, I've had the privilege of being a, a part of a lot of different kinds of churches and, and really they all probably fall into two categories. One of those was maybe a large church, church of seven, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand people and then churches like ours that's kind of a grassroots, it's kind of that start that, that we see God do some amazing and growing and exploding things in that. And I just want to say that out of all the churches I've been a part of, that, that whether it was that growing church that, that, that just kind of was a grassroots start or that large church that experienced some growth, there's always seems to be that moment in the church where people, uh, and I've even had people say this to me before, uh, that, you know, hey, Doug, we love the church, we love what's going on, but, but you know, we're, just, we're growing so fast, I just feel kind of disconnected. I feel like I just don't know anybody. Or, hey, Doug, the church is so big that I just don't feel like I know people because when I come in and they're on the, on the side of the room, I just don't know who they are anymore. And I just want to tell you, early in my ministry, uh, when people would come up and say that to me, of course, I was a youth pastor way back when, so, you know, the bug didn't, you know, have to stop with me, and so I'm like, hey, go talk to the pastor about that one. But really what I was thinking was, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's probably just your lame excuse for not wanting to be an active part of the body of Christ. Now, I've never told them that, but that's, that's really kind of what I was thinking. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, I think to some level that is true, that some people use that as a way to disconnect and to not be an active, viable part of the local body of Christ. But about three weeks ago, God really began to open my eyes to see something that I never really thought about before, that is it possible that that concern for some people who love the Lord, love the church, and are actually involved and active, and they still feel that way, is it possible that that concern sometimes is legitimate? And I think the answer is yes, which scares me to death because I'm in a different role now. And it scares me to death to think that, that maybe there's, there's people that come that love what God is doing in this place and here, but because of what God is doing and because of the growth that we've seen, that maybe we feel a little bit disconnected. So I began to pray, say, God, okay, how is it that we can be a church that is growing spiritually and numerically but still have that feeling of small, intimate family, right? How do we accomplish that? And God really began to turn my attention as we looked at the book of Acts chapter 3. I was really going to preach on the last part of the book of Acts 3, but God really began to direct my attention to the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 3. Because if you think about the church at Acts, at the point we're at in Acts 3, this church is huge. It started with just a few disciples. Jesus shows up, makes this promise. The promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and, and shows up, and then all of a sudden, People are just getting saved by the thousands. It would have been awesome to be part of that. But in Acts chapter 3, we come to the place where this church now is huge, but yet people seem to remain connected. And people seem to look at this first church as a family. And even amidst their growth, they didn't lose the intimacy with which a church needs to have to thrive. And I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. That's what I want for our church. As God begins to grow and to continue to do things here, I want us to always have a sense of family, of intimacy, so that we can continue to thrive and make a difference in our community. And as I read Acts chapter 3, the verse 10 verses, God really began to open my eyes and things. And I really believe the reason the first church was able to grow and expand and explode, but still maintain that sense of small, family, intimate feeling, is because what they chose to focus on. And so today, I just want us to walk through these 10 verses and see some things that we as a church and as individuals need to focus on if we're going to experience growth, but also continue to experience intimacy 
smallness, and family. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and we are literally just going to walk through this story. At the end of Acts chapter 2, you may remember this, that Peter has preached this amazing sermon, and all these people have been saved, and, and, uh, and then we, and then and at the very end of Acts 2, it was that moment where the believers got together, and they broke bread together, and they fellowshiped together, and we talked about what it means to be a family, but in Acts chapter 3, I love this story, and let me tell you why. Because up to this point, it's been about this small group of people that exploded into this movement. And all of a sudden, Acts chapter 3 is like, shh, it goes back to one person. So this church that's now thousands seems to hone in and focus in on one. Acts chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now just real quickly there, I mean, Peter and John, let's just be real honest who these guys are. Yeah, they're disciples, but let's really think about that. These guys are the leaders of this movement of thousands of people. That's who they are. So when you're Peter and John and you walk into the city of Jerusalem, everybody knows who you are. Right, John's the guy that never seemed to get away from Jesus' side. He was there at the cross when nobody else was there. But Peter's the guy that stood up and spoke, and thousands of people got saved. They were on the who's who's list in Jerusalem. So when Peter and John arrive in Jerusalem, everybody knows who they are. But I love it because these two guys who were leaders and that people were watching them and following them and were influenced by them, where were they going? They were going to the temple to do what? To pray. While they're now followers of Jesus, they were still honoring Jewish custom to go to the temple and to pray and to seek their heavenly father. Verse 2 says this. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the temple gate, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for arms for those that are entering the temple. So here's Peter and John. They're going into the temple, and here's this lame guy. That word lame just translates crippled. This crippled guy, and we know later we'll find out, he's crippled at his feet. He can't walk. And so he's having to be carried to this gate. Now, some of you are going to say, well, Doug, it says a beautiful gate. What do they mean, a beautiful gate? Here, here's a really powerful answer. I have no idea. I studied that and studied that. The only thing I could come up with is sheer speculation. The beautiful gate was between the, the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women. So there must have been something about going from Gentiles into the court of women that was beautiful, so therefore it was called the beautiful gate. I don't know, but that's what the gate was called. It was ornate, and maybe it was just beautiful to the sight. But it's where this man would go, and he would be laid there. Now, I find it interesting that they would lay him at the beautiful gate instead of all the other gates in Jerusalem. Maybe it was because women show kindness more often than men, and he's right outside the gate. We don't really know. But what we do know is this guy was carried all the way in, and he was laid just outside the beautiful gate asking for alms. And the Bible says that he was lame. He was crippled. And we know he was crippled from birth. And later in chapter 3, if you read it later today, and in 4, you'll find out that this guy was over 40 years old. That this guy, over 40 years old, has been crippled since birth. So as long as he could, people, his friends, wouldn't you like to be his friend, had to carry him every day to lay him outside the temple so he could beg for money. Now, why would a, a, a crippled, a blind person, or a beggar beg for money? Is because that's how they made their living. He could not get up and walk. He couldn't do anything. He was lame. He was crippled. And so he would go there, and he would beg for alms. And he would beg for money just to survive. 
Now, interestingly enough, if you looked at this guy's situation, it's hopeless. Here's a guy that in that culture, most people would view him as you bring nothing to our society. You are a mooch and a nuisance. You bring nothing quality. And so day by day by day by day by day, his friends would carry him and lay him at this beautiful gate, and he would beg for alms as people would pass by. Verse 3 says this. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Now, this is not that he pinpointed Peter and John. It's just the point is this, is that as he's sitting there and he's begging for alms, people are just passing by. And it so happens that Peter and John pass by this beautiful gate going into the temple, and he begs them for money. He says, I, I, I need some money. Would you show me mercy? And he just thought, hey, I'm going to receive mercy from these guys in the form of money. He literally had no idea what he was about to receive. Verse 4, this is where the story gets really interesting. Verse 4, I have this underlined in my Bible. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And he said, look at us. Peter directed his gaze. That doesn't mean he glanced at him. That doesn't mean he saw him in the peripheral vision. You ever been to Walmart and you see people that you know in the peripheral vision that you don't want to talk to? Come on. I've seen some of you avoid me in Walmart. I know. Okay, that's, that's not what he's talking about. He says he directed his gaze. He directed his attention at this lame beggar. And so did John. And this beggar is just looking, hey, can I have money, can I have money, can I have money? And all of a sudden, Peter says to him, look at me. In other words, I, I'm talking to you. Now, think about it. Here's, we've got to get this, because every day people would pass by. And if you've ever been downtown St. Louis going to a Cardinal game, aren't there people all over the streets begging, right? And most of the time, what do you do? You walk by and you just throw something in the guitar case or whatever, and you just keep walking. And that's what this guy was expecting. Hey, I'm begging for alms. Here they're passing by. They're going to throw some money. Keep going. But Peter stops. And Peter and John notice this guy. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. They didn't have time to stop. They were going to the temple to pray at a specific time and a specific hour to pray to the creator of the universe. They didn't have time to stop and to deal with a crippled man. They didn't have time for that. It was inconvenience, it was a nuisance, and it was going to interrupt their schedule. But they did, right? Just like Jesus did when he was going from Jericho to Jerusalem for the last week of his life, on the road, he stopped and noticed blind Bartimaeus. In this moment, this lame beggar had Peter and John's total attention. Their focus was on him. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. When I read that, when the Holy Spirit just really began to grab my heart, you go, Doug, if you want to be have a church, and you want to be part of a church that grows spiritually and numerically, but has that sense of connectivity and family and intimacy, here's where you got to begin. Begin where Peter began. Begin to focus on noticing people. Not just through your periphery, not just through a glance, but you need to stop and you need to focus and look and to gaze at people. 
inside and outside the church. Hey, listen to me. Whatever workplace you're in tomorrow, when you go to that workplace, there are people there that are hurting, that are broken, that are distraught, and they're looking for somebody with some answers. And you spend time noticing them and interacting with them, or you just pass them by and go, God, I pray somebody gets to them. And I'm just telling you, if we're going to be a church that not only grows but maintains our family culture that we've tried to create, we've got to notice people. We've got to notice people. And not just outside the walls, but in this room. Can we just be really transparent and say this? There are a ton of people in this place today that are hurting. There are a ton of people in this place today that are broken. There are a ton of people in this place today that are frustrated. And you passed them on the way to the coffee. And did you just see them or did you notice them? See, I think this is really tough for us because, listen, we live in a selfie culture, don't we, right? We live in a very selfie culture. I mean, it's almost eerie how often I see people over the age of 40 that like to take selfies of themselves and put it on Facebook. And now if that's you, I'm not trying to offend you, but it creeps me out just a bit. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> Especially when you're in the car probably passing me and you should be looking at the road. Kind of creeps me out a bit. But we do, we live in a selfie generation. I mean, listen, we are so living in our own bubble. We are so wrapped up into ourselves that if we were really honest, we'd say, Doug, I don't have time to stop and notice people because if I notice them, it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to take time. It's going to add burden to me. I just don't have time. We said from day one, two things Jesus wants us to do, love God and love people. We are called to love people, and not just the ones who love us back, and not the ones who are just lovable. We are called to be people who love people, because the truth is, we are surrounded by people, and some of those people are hurting, and some of those people are broken, and some of those people need healing. And here's the question I want you to think about. Do you spend your days really noticing people, or do you just pass them by? One of the craziest stories in the Bible, a parable Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. And all these religious leaders passed this person who was half dead, the Bible says, on the road, and they passed by them. They all had their own reason. They all had their own, what they thought, legitimate reason of why they didn't have time to help this guy. And some of them were religious reasons. Some of them were time restraint reasons. But at the end of the day, all the religious people passed them by. And then a Samaritan. And that day they would be called a mixed breed. They were the hated of the hated of the day because they weren't a Jew and they weren't a Gentile and they weren't this and they weren't that. They were a mixture of that. And so the people hated them. And guess who stopped and noticed this guy half dead? The one that was rejected already. And I just want you to hear my heart on this. If we're going to be a church that God blesses and grows and that can maintain our family culture, we've got to be a church that notices people outside these walls and inside this room. Are you with me on that? Now, let's go back to the story. Verse 5, five and 6. It says this. And he fixed his attention on them, this man, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. 
So in the name of Jesus Christ, the son of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So Peter engages this guy. Here he is, he's begging, and Peter stops, and he, he's, he's fixed on him. He's looking at him. I mean, how uncomfortable would it be if I just, I just looked at Lisa, and I'm just talking to Lisa, and I'm just, Lisa and I are just, we got this icon. I mean, I mean that's what's happening. Now, I want you to remember, what was the environment? It was around the day of Pentecost. Remember what I said? That Jerusalem was kind of like our version of Mardi Gras during that time. I mean, it was craziness. There were hundreds and thousands of people entering in and out of Jerusalem, in and out of the temple. And Peter and John walked by, and this lame guy's begging, and he fixes his attention on him. And he calls the guy and says, look at us. I've stopped. I've noticed you. Make eye contact with me. And the guy looks at him. And the Bible says that he expected to receive something from them. And then, interesting, what do you think he expected to receive? Money. He had no idea what he was about to get. And Peter looks at him and says, listen, and I love this. Peter says, I have no money. But I'm going to give you what I do have. See, Peter understood in that moment. He was able to discern between what this guy wanted and what this guy needed. Now, did you hear me? He was able to discern the difference between what this guy wanted and what this guy needed. See, what this guy wanted was money. He thought, if I have money, I can continue to survive. But isn't it interesting that Peter had a bigger vision for his life than this guy did? Peter's like, I don't want you just to survive. I want you to thrive. So I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you need. And I'm going to give you what I have. Now, what did Peter have? Jesus. That's what he gave him. Jesus. Did we get that? He gave him Jesus. Well, Doug, I know, but when the bills had to come pay, he still needed money. No, 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 come on, come on, come on, come on. What he needed at the root of who he was was Jesus. Money just allowed him to survive. It was Jesus that was going to help him thrive. Now, I, I want to point that out because I think as a church, not only do we need to focus on people and noticing them, but we also need to focus on what people need, not what people want, right? Let's say you're a Christian person in the room, and you love the Lord, and you're living for the Lord, and you know this person at work, and they don't have a relationship with Christ, and they'll say stuff like this, you know, well, I just don't know what to do. You know, I want my marriage to work. Is that surviving or thriving? Come on, is surviving or thriving? Surviving. You know, I've got my, my kids, and, man, i got one that's just kind of uh, rebellious, and, man, I, I just want us to get along. Is that surviving or thriving? Surviving. And I'm just telling you, listen, please hear me. Too many of us are content to just survive. And we have no vision how God wants us to thrive. That's why Jesus says, I've come that you may have life, and not just life, I've come that you may have it abundantly. I want you to experience something that will blow your socks off. I don't want you to settle for mediocre. I don't want you to be complacent. I want you to thrive, not just survive. And I'm just telling you, when we notice people, we need to be able to look beyond what they want and give them what they need. Now, what do they need? Jesus. Now, I know you say, well, Doug, you're a preacher. That's a, that's, a, that's a churchy answer. Listen to me. I want you to hear me. If you know somebody who doesn't know Christ, what's the only thing going to change their eternity? 
Jesus. If you know somebody who's a passionate follower of Jesus, but they are struggling in their journey and they're struggling in their faith, what do they need? A fresh encounter and experience with who? Jesus. If you know somebody that's passionate, that loves the Lord and is living for him, what constant reminder do they need in their life of a need for him? What do they need? Jesus. It doesn't matter where you're at this morning. We all need the same thing. Jesus. We get that? And I'm just telling you, I think sometimes when we come across people and we actually take time to notice them and notice they have a need, we like to go, oh, here's my opportunity. I'm going to give them all of my opinions. I'm going to give them all the wisdom that I've ever attained in life. And I'm going to help this person. They're going to be a project for me. And we're going to make this thing work. Can I say this with love? They don't need your opinions because you're jacked up too. They don't need my opinions because I'm jacked up with you. They need Jesus. And I'm not trying to be preachy or, or churchy. Listen, that's just truth. The whole Bible is about one person. The Old Testament points us to one person. Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. And the rest of the New Testament points us to what happens when people's lives are changed by Jesus. The church explodes. What we all need today, whether you don't know Christ or you're struggling in your journey with Christ or you're a passionate follower of Christ, we all still need a fresh touch from Jesus. And when we notice people, what are we leading them to then? When we really notice them, are we focused on what they want or are we focused on what they need? Now, why do we need to give them Jesus? Because, listen, he is the only one who can rescue them. He is the only one that can give them peace. And he is the only one that can bring healing to their troubled hearts. So as we're going to be a church that grows, and a church that is intimate and has a family environment, we must be a people that focus on noticing people, but also focus on people's needs, not just their wants. Verse 7 says this. Skip with me to verse 7. And Peter took him by his right hand. Now, let's pause for a minute. If you're the lame guy, I, I, I just want to be the lame guy for a minute, all right? I know I'm probably lame in a metaphorical way, but I just mean practically, let's, lame guy. You're laying there begging for alms. And this dude walks up and goes, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. Really? <laughs> I spent 40 plus years laying here. Really? Are you serious? Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Immediately. It wasn't like, hey, you know, in a couple days you should be all right. Like when you go to the, th the, 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 the therapy guy, you know, hey, in a couple days the soreness and the pain should go away. Well, it's not, I mean, immediately he was healed. Verse 8 says this, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately was healed. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And he entered the temple praising God, walking, leaping, and praising God. And, verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. Now think about this. Peter, going to the temple, going to go pray. 
being a great role model for those that are part of this movement of Jesus. And on the way there, there's this guy. And listen, was there probably other people begging at the temple gates? Sure there was. But Peter stops, and he noticed him. He fixed on him. And he was able to discern the difference between what he wanted and what he needed, and then he gave him what he needed. And then what happened? This man experienced healing. Right? This man was healed. Peter raised him up, and his ankles immediately were healed. And I love it, it says that he began to walk, and he began to leap and jump, and he went to the temple to praise God. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. Here's a guy who's been lame for over 40 years. What are you going to do if you're healed? What are you going to do? Oh, thanks. I'll, I'll, I'll catch you later, right? Hey, thanks. Appreciate that. I, you know, that's, that's awesome. I mean, are you going to be kind of monotone about that? Are you going to be jacked up about that? Yeah, you're going to be jacked up about that. I mean, you're going to be so excited, you're going to leap, you're going to jump, you're going to walk, and you're going to go to the right place to praise God. Now, why did the guy, it's interesting, he went to the temple to praise God. Why did he do that? Because he was healed physically, but more importantly, he was healed spiritually. Jesus had changed his life. And I love the very end of the passage, because what we find is this, that people's lives, because of him, were changed. Because of his story, people's lives were impacted. In fact, if you go home and read the last part of chapter 3 into chapter 4, you're going to find out by the time this story is over with, now the number went from 3,000 a part of the kingdom of God to now we're up to 5,000 people. Why? Because of this guy. And Jesus touched him and he changed him and people around him were never the same again. And I just want to tell you, if we are going to be a church that grows and yet experiences intimacy, yes, we've got to notice people. Yes, we've got to be able to give them what they need and not what they want. But also, we've got to focus on celebrating people's stories. We've got to focus on celebrating the goodness and the greatness of God as he shows up in the lives of people that are part of us. That's why a couple of weeks ago, I went to a place I have no idea how to get back to. I mean, I went and, Bill, where, what river were we on? Okay, great. It, it, was a, it was a ditch, I guess. I don't know. But it went to Van Buren. It was like black, blue, something, river, something. I don't know. And we went to Van Buren, and we made a left on a road, and we went way too long. We went right on a gravel road, and, and we were on a one-lane gravel road for like, it seemed like a day, but it was probably like 20 minutes. And then we got to the end, and it forked, and now the fork wasn't gravel. It was now sure 100% off-roading. And I loved it because Mary Gibbs was behind me in her car off-roading with us. It was an amazing, amazing experience. But I'm telling you, I loved it because we got there and Bill Pender was baptized in this river. And the whole time I'm driving there, I'm like, why in the world? We have a pool right down there. Why in the world are we going to a place that I'm never sure I'm going to get back from or return from? I mean, why are we here? And Bill stood there with this great calmness and he spoke to all the people there and said, listen, this river used to represent... The beginning of my downfall. The beginning of what took me away from God. But today it's going to represent me coming home. I got to celebrate with him. Yeah. Hey, listen. 
That was a moment of celebrating. That was, and listen, we have to be a church that celebrates. This last week, for three nights, Sonia and I got to go to the hospital and celebrate three babies that were born. I mean, we got to go celebrate with them and remind them that, you know what, while you play a part of this biologically, at the end of the day, Psalms 139 says that God has fearfully and wonderfully made and woven that baby together in the mother's womb. And we got to celebrate with them. Listen, we are going to be a church, yes, that grows, but we've got to be a church that maintains our connectivity in our family. And one way to do it is to celebrate. That's why we're going to recognize graduates. That's why we're going to have parent dedication. That's why two weeks ago I had Ron Glywell share with our students his story, not to glorify the sin of his past, but the greatness of God changing him for where he's at today. And we are going to celebrate because we have to. Because when we celebrate... It reminds us that my story matters. Your story matters. People's stories matter. And isn't it awesome to think that God might use your story to bring someone to him? Because he will. And when we celebrate, we were reminded that my story matters. We were reminded of the goodness and the greatness of God, and we are reminded that God is at work in us and through us. So I have three challenges today I want to give you when we close, as we close. Really, it's a challenge for three different kinds of people. The first kind of group are those that would say today, hey, Doug, I'm a follower and a believer in Christ. And I'm a part of this church, I believe in this church, I love this church, and I want to continue to be involved in what we're doing as the Bluff Church. Here's my challenge and what I would say to us. If we're going to continue to grow spiritually and numerically and maintain a family intimate where it doesn't matter, I mean, listen, I stress out weekly, and Dave can tell you this because he always is on me about this. I stress out because I don't know everybody's name. I stink at my memory of that, but I mean, I, I want to know everybody. I want us all to be buds. I mean, I just, that's the desire of my heart. But as we continue to grow, it's going to get harder and harder and harder. But at the end of the day, if we're going to maintain that intimacy and that family, it doesn't come with just knowing everybody's name. But it does come with us focusing on and noticing people. Because people matter. And it helps us not only just to focus on them and notice them, but to be able to discern what they want versus what they need and give them what they need not what they want and then when they get to that point where God is doing something amazing in life to celebrate with them how God is working and so if you're a follower of Christ and a part of this church and loves this and wants to see God do some great things and us stay close and connected here's my question and challenge for you which one of those three areas do you just stink at today do you stink at the fact that, hey, Doug, I'm so, I'm so linear-minded that my focus is here that I don't notice people on the sides? Hey, listen, I struggle with that. I've shared that before. That's, that's, when I'm going from point A to point B, I'm going from point A to point B. And I don't enjoy the roses along the way because I'm going from point A to point B because i got to get there for a reason, so I need to get there so I can get going. That's just the way I'm wired. And the Holy Spirit has to continually remind me, Doug, slow down. People matter more than point B. And so do you stink at that like I do sometimes? Or maybe you notice people, but you struggle with actually giving them what they need versus what they want. You spend your time giving your opinions and expressing your experiences instead of pointing them to the only one that can change them, Jesus. You stink at that? Or maybe you're great at noticing people, and you're great at pointing them to Jesus, but what you stink at is when God starts moving, you go on to your next project. I'm done with you. I've got to move on. Instead of stopping and celebrating with them. 
So if you're a follower of Christ, which one of these three areas does the Holy Spirit need to help you get better on? And then some of you here today, and you're just, you're not, you're a believer, but second category of people is those who are struggling. You sit here today and go, Doug, hey, I'm just like the person you started with your sermon on. I love this church, I love the people here, but sometimes I struggle and feel like I'm getting disconnected. And here's what I want to say to you. I understand it, and I believe for some level it is legit. But don't let yourself live there. Don't. Don't have, and I've said this before, don't have a hee-haw theology, right? Gloom, despair, agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, I mean, don't be that person, right? Don't be the person that goes, you know, nobody cares, nobody loves me. Listen, don't be that person. Don't let yourself live in a place where you choose not to be connected. Choose to get connected. One of the greatest places you can is by serving. Well, Doug, I don't, I don't, I don't want to serve in, in Bluff Kids. Listen, forget what you want for just a minute. Because when you start throwing out what I want, who are we talking about now? It's all about you now. Well, we're never going to win that battle. Let's talk about where we need to serve. Where there's a need, then you go jump in. Well, Doug, I don't know where the needs are. Where Dave Elge is in a blue shirt in the back of the room, and we're done today, he can tell you exactly what the needs are. And if you're struggling, feeling connected, serve. Get involved. Another way is through our groups. Get connected. Let people walk a journey with you. And so if you're struggling today, here's my challenge to you. Would you have the courage and the discipline to get connected? Not wait for somebody else to drag you in, but you take the step yourself to get connected. And there's one last group I have a challenge for, and that's those that you would say today, hey, Doug, I feel like I'm spiritually lame. I'm spiritually hurting just like that guy was in the story. And I know that there's some of you here today that maybe when you came in the room today, you're filled full, your heart is filled full of anger. Maybe you're filled full of hurt. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's frustration. Maybe it's a sense of inadequacy. But wherever you find yourself this morning, you've come into the room and you would say, Doug, spiritually today, if I was going to be really, really honest, I feel a little crippled today in here. Not physically, but in here. And I would just ask you this. Would you have the courage just to cry out to the Lord? Because he's the only one that will forgive you and can forgive you. He's the only one that can restore you. And please hear this. He's the only one that can heal you. He's it. And would you have the courage to ask him to intervene on your behalf like he did for this lame cripple as Peter and John passed by. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me. Everybody stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Everybody just close your eyes and just bow your heads. And I just want to challenge you today, and I'm going to ask some of our, some of our elders and wives, if you guys, if you don't mind moving to the front sides of the room, that would be great today, just the front and the sides of the room. And maybe you're here today and say, Doug, I'm that Christian, I love the church, but, but I, I just want God to help me see people more, to focus on people more. Or maybe I want them to, to help me to, to give them what they really need and to, and to really share the love of Christ with them. If that's you today and you know you need that, and you just need somebody to pray for you, to encourage you, man, these, these men and women are here to pray for you and love on you. Or maybe you're here today and say, Doug, I'm struggling I mean, I love what's going on. But I just feel like if I wasn't here, nobody would care. I'm, I'm not really connected. 
I'm just telling you, my heart breaks for you. But at some point, you have to have the courage and discipline to connect yourself. And some of the best ways to connect is to take the focus off of you and put them on somebody else. And one way you can connect is through serving or through getting in a group. Will you have the courage for that today? And if you're struggling with that, man, would you please let these folks pray for you? Because I'm just telling you, the devil wants you to stay right where you're at if you're struggling. The devil wants you to survive. Jesus wants you to thrive. Or maybe you're here today and say, Doug, I'm just spiritually lame. I am hurting. I am broken. I am distraught. I don't know which way is up and which way is down. Can I just say this to you? We would love to pray for you today, but there's only one answer we can give you. And that's Jesus. He's the only one that can give you peace. He's the only one that can pick up the broken pieces of your heart and put them back together. And he's the only one that can bring healing. And would you just cry out to him today? Father, we love you. I love this story. I love this story how this massive movement all of a sudden goes from massive to focusing on one. And I thank you that the Holy Spirit just used this story to remind me that as we grow and as we do and as we're part of things as a church and as so many things are happening in our midst, that all that stuff is great. May we not lose sight of people in the middle of all that. We're so thankful for the growth that we've experienced and we're so grateful for the culture that we've created and you've helped us with. But at the end of the day, Lord, may we not celebrate that to the neglect of people. People that are hurting people that are broken, people that are struggling. May today we have it in our heart and intention and desire to notice those people, to take time with those people, to love on those people, and to walk a journey with them. So God, just be with us today. Give us what we need, not what we want. And if we need to pray, Lord, help us have the courage to step out and let someone pray with us and over us. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're singing an amazing song. And I hope for some of you this song is just a declaration of your heart. We're going to say some words that are very emotional in this song that you just need to claim that today. But for some of you in the room today, you need some prayers. You need people to pray with you and over you. And as we start singing this song and continue to worship, would you just step out of your seats, find someone, and ask them to pray with you. Let's continue to worship together.
Bye. 